if you have your Bible with you, turn to Isaiah chapter 8. That's where we are. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9, I should say. Um, we, we've taken a break from our series in Hebrews, and we're going to be uh, in Isaiah 9 uh, for this Sunday and next Sunday as we, we finish up the Advent season. Um, this, uh, we've called this series, To Us a Child is Born. Um, it, it's focusing on these four royal names that are given to uh, the promised child, the, who would be Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Um, and just to set the scene, to remind us quickly, um, Judah is the southern kingdom. Israel was split into two kingdoms at the time after uh, a civil war and, and that happened. And uh, Judah is a small kingdom where Jerusalem is, and, and they're facing exile. They're facing slavery. They're facing enemies. There's a massive empire called Assyria. And um, even, look at, even outside the Bible, looking at history, you can see all the, they conquered all the people they enslaved. And this is what's facing God's people. And in the middle of this darkness, God doesn't promise them a warrior that's going to come and raise an army and, and defeat the Assyrians. Um, but what he promises them is so counterintuitive. It, 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 and, and, and we don't really always see it as counterintuitive because we're used to listening to the Christmas story. Uh, but this is so counterintuitive that in the middle of their darkness, uh, God promises them a child. I was thinking about it this way uh, as we were, uh, you, can't, you can't even see them, they're so dim, in these little jars in the windowsill, there's these little fake candles, and I was switching them on, and I was thinking about it, in this darkness, God doesn't, he chooses not to turn on the floodlights, he chooses to light a candle, like we've done, um, and so this is the child that's promised to us, wonderful counselor, he's called mighty God, he's called everlasting father, and he's called prince of peace, um, so let me read for us from Isaiah chapter 9, uh, verses 2 to 7. And after I finish reading, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, because we do believe it's God speaking to us, it's his word. And then you all say, or we say together, thanks be to God. So let's read Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in the light, land of deep darkness, on them a light has a light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult every, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Christmas is a funny time, isn't it? Especially this year, um, because we're told that it's a time that's full of joy, and we're told that at Christmas you can't be sad. Uh, I was in the car with the kids yesterday, and we were playing Christmas music, and um, it was just like one of those Spotify playlists, and that song came on like, have yourself a merry little Christmas, and one of the lines is, from now on, your troubles will be far away. Which is just the biggest pile of nonsense, isn't it? Like, that one day, like, this holiday is going to make all your troubles disappear. Um, because for most of us, if not all of us, there's always sadness around Christmas, isn't there? Especially this year. Um, 
for Christmas, um, probably like you, for in my family, there's empty chairs at the table. And it's a time when uh, you miss people that you desperately wish were still here. And is for a lot of us, as we rip into our presents and, and dig into our turkey, there's still loneliness, there's still pain, there's still sickness, there's still sadness. And when we come to this particular title of Jesus, title that's given to this child, Everlasting Father, it brings up all kinds of emotions because uh, not all of us have positive experiences of Father, right? Probably, in fact, all of us uh, have at least some negative experience with our Father. None of us have perfect dads. Um, so maybe when you think about the word Father or you hear the word Father, some of us feel the loss of a father who's died or some of us feel sadness for a father who's sick or helpless or in need. Some of us have longings for the father that we never knew or never had. Some of us are angry for the father that has abandoned us or betrayed us or hurt our mum or whatever it may be. For a lot of people, father just conjures up unmet needs, doesn't it? And so no matter how good your relationship with your dad is or was, um, he probably has or will someday let you down. And so when we come to think about the, the promised Messiah that's, that's given here in Isaiah chapter 9 as the everlasting father, we, we need to be really, really clear from the beginning that what we're talking about here, what Isaiah is talking about here, what God is talking about here is heavenly fatherhood, not earthly fatherhood. Heavenly fatherhood. Because what we tend to do is when, when the Bible describes God in certain ways or certain aspects of the church, like God is our father or uh, Christ is our brother or we are the bride of Christ or even, as, like I said, the church is family, what we tend to do is that we take our earthly experiences of those things and impose them onto God or impose them on the church. And that's not always a good, that's not a good thing. So, for example, if you grew up as an orphan with no family or maybe abandoned by your family or something like that, um, the idea or the invitation to become part of church's family isn't a good thing. You don't want to be part of that because it's, it's a negative thing. It doesn't bring you any good. It leaves you dissatisfied. And so what we need to remember when we come to a concept like father is we need to remember that God is the source of all these things. That God is the creator of family and brotherhood and marriage and, 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 and all those things I just said. And, and, and what we have in our, in our lives is is, is a kind of broken, sinful, um, field, um, incomplete version of these things. And they fall far short of their true nature. That true nature that's only fulfilled in God. And so when we come to Everlasting Father today, um, and maybe it's just me, uh, maybe it's because it's Christmas, maybe it's because I lost my dad, I don't know, but I just wanted to say that from the outset, that, 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 that let's not impose our ideas of fatherhood onto God. Let's listen to what he says in his word about fatherhood. And let's let God show us, by his Holy Spirit, show us what this really means. So what does it mean? How is it that a child that's born to us and a son that is given to us is given to us as everlasting father? Not that this child grows up and then becomes a dad, or not that a son that is born grows up and has kids of his own, but, but he is given to us as everlasting father. How, how is that possible? Um, father isn't just a word that's used to describe somebody that has kids as a man who has children, right? Um, think of if, if we were American, um, we would be really comfortable and familiar with the like, term, like, like 
using the word like founding fathers, like the fathers of the nation, right? We've all heard those expressions. Or um, you think of like someone like Socrates, who's the father of philosophy, or Galileo, who's the father of physics. Uh, these, these people uh, founded something, and they become known as the father of that thing that they founded. And it was the same uh, back in the times of Israel. The king had a fatherly role to play for the nation. The king was to lead the people. He was to protect the people. He was to provide for the people. He was to act like a good father should, like a godly father should. Like a, like that's God's idea for fatherhood. And this is the, the idea that this prophecy wants us to consider. And the other part of this title uh, of this child is everlasting father. So this is someone who meets all our needs and will not disappoint. He, he's, he's not temporary. He will not abandon us. He will not die. He won't let us down. A good way to think of everlasting father is that he is our father forever, right? His fatherly nature, his fatherly relationship towards us will last forever. And even our best experience of dad can't compare to this. But before I get into the details of, 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 of everlasting father, I want to I take a second to think about what this title doesn't mean. What does everlasting father not mean? Okay. This child is born is everlasting. This son is given as a father. And this can be one of the most confusing uh, of these titles here in Isaiah 9. Um, because we know that this child is the Messiah, right? If you didn't know that, that's a spoiler alert. This, this child that was promised here in Isaiah 9, uh, 700 years later, uh, is the focus of the nativity story. He's the baby Jesus in the manger. This is him. So how can he, Christ Jesus, be called Father. Well, we need to be really, really clear that Isaiah is not saying that Jesus is God the Father, okay? So our God is God, but he is three persons in one. He, he's, he, he, is, he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the three persons of our God. All three equal in glory, all three equal in power, all three equal in essence. They are the same. But whilst they are the same and whilst they are one, they are distinct, so the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God, but the Father is not the Son, the Father is not the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not the Father and is not the Son. And so the Son, this child that is given here, the one that is called everlasting Father, is not the Father. Isaiah is not saying that the promised Messiah is God the Father, but by giving him this name, by, by with God calling him everlasting Father, he's telling us, Something about how this promised king will lead and rule and reign over his people. That's what royal titles did back in these times, back in that culture. A royal title would be given to you, and that would tell your subjects how you would reign over them, okay? It's a bit like, I don't know, Alexander the Great or William the Conqueror or something like that. And these are four royal titles. So this king, this child that's going to be born, who will be the king, He's going to be a wonderful counselor. He's the source of godly wisdom. He's going to be mighty God. He's going to be the, the God who defeats all your enemies. He's going to be the prince of peace. He's going to bring peace and completeness and wholeness. But he's also going to be a fatherly type role. He's, or he's going to have a fatherly type role. The way that King Jesus rules shows us what the father is like. This promised king, Jesus, will have a fatherly aspect to how he rules over his people. 
And we mustn't get confused. We mustn't think that, that, that Jesus is God the Father. That's, that's not how it works. He is distinct from the Father. But yet, the way he rules over his people as king, it's going to be father-like. The way a father leads and rules over his family. Rules over his family, maybe not the best word, but he leads and protects and provides for his family. In John 14, Philip, who's one of Jesus' disciples, so 700 years after Isaiah 9, and, and Philip says to Jesus, he says, you know, Jesus is talking about the, his relationship with the Father, and Philip just says, hey, you know what, Jesus, just show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. And Jesus says, Philip, I've been with you all this time. They've been together years at this point. And, and he says, and you still don't know me? Whoever has seen me, Jesus says, has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Did you see what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying that he is not the Father, but that he is in the Father and the Father is in him, that they are one. And when God says that this promised child will be everlasting Father, he is saying, I'm sending you a king. I'm sending you a savior. And, and he's not He's not going to relate to you in negative ways. The way he's going to relate to you is in the way a good and true and perfect dad relates to his kids. Psalm 103 gives us this perfect example of this. This psalm, it's, called, it's a messianic psalm. It, that just means it, it, it's, it's talking about the Messiah. It's talking about Jesus. And it says here in verse 13 of Psalm 103, I think it's on the screen. As a father shows compassion to his children... So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. This verse shows us the heart that Jesus has towards us, his children. If you're a Christian this morning, this is how Jesus relates to you. He has compassion on us. His heart is completely and compassionately for us. It's true parenthood, true fatherhood. I'm a dad, I have two kids, and I have to tell you that I am not perfectly compassionate all the time. I, I want peace sometimes. I want, I want them to be quiet. Just last night, Finney was, I was w watching football, and Finney was playing with his dinosaur, and I was like, can you please play with the upstairs? It's just so selfish. You know what? Jesus never relates to us that way. He never sends us away. He never wants peace and quiet. He's always compassionate for us. His heart is always for us. He knows our needs and he meets our needs. This is what I want us to grasp this morning about Jesus and his role as, as, a, as, a, as like a father-type figure to us. Uh, Abigail, our wee girl, when she falls and hurts herself, and she does that a lot, she falls all the time, but when she falls and hurts herself and she's crying, she's in pain, it actually breaks my heart, you know, it does. And if you're a parent, you'll know that, like breaks your heart. I just want to pick her up and, and cuddle her and I want to take the pain away. I want her to know she's safe and all that kind of stuff. That's what Jesus' heart is like towards us. Always. Perfectly. He, he relates to us in the way a good father relates to their children. Love, compassion, desire to do whatever is necessary to protect them and keep them safe and bring them joy. Even what I do on my best day as a dad is nothing compared to what Jesus does. And here's something else. Uh, every parent views their own children in a different way than you see other children. I have nieces and nephews, and some of our closest friends who are, who are just like family to us, they have children. But I don't see those children 
Even the ones that relate to me by blood, I don't see them in the same way as I see my own children. There's something special about the compassion that I have for my kids that I don't have for other kids. Listen, if you are a Christian this morning, you are Jesus's. You belong to Jesus. He sees us as his own, as special, and he has compassion for us. Jesus' heart is completely for you. You are his. He loves you. His compassion is always for you, perfectly. The Messiah, Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, our King, behaves like a father towards us. And, and this is weird for us, isn't it? Because we don't, we don't necessarily always think of Jesus as a father, right? But here it is in the Bible. Everlasting Father. That's the way he relates to his people. That's how he leads and rules over his people. But we shouldn't separate the two words in this title. It's not everlasting and father. It's everlasting father. Okay? Not only is he a father towards us, he is everlasting father. And everlasting just speaks of his permanence and his perfection. So his perfection, we saw that, that he doesn't cast us away. He doesn't send us away. He's never too tired. He's never too busy. He's never aloof. He's never grumpy. He is perfect in his compassion towards us. But also he is permanent. This... His fatherhood towards us lasts forever. Revelation 21, and we're going to come back to that at the end, but but Revelation 21 tells us that Jesus is Alpha and Omega, right? This child that is born is beginning and end. He is beginning and end. This is the marvel of the incarnation. The fact that the incarnation just means that that God became human being. It's it's so mind-blowing because sometimes we just think that uh, Christ started at Christmas, don't we? That, that Christ started at the nativity. But that's not true. Christ was not created. He was not made. He has no beginning. He has no end. He is God. He is outside of time. Christ created time. And realizing this should just make us so full of worship. The one who created time submitted himself to time. The one uh, who has no beginning stepped into beginning. The one who has no end gave himself an end. He was not created and yet he was born. This is the reason why I love Christmas so much and Advent so much. It really should blow us away. Listen, in the same breath, the prophet Isaiah calls him a child and a counselor. In the same breath, the the prophet Isaiah calls him a son and a father. Charles Spurgeon, he was this pastor back in the late 1800s and early 1900s, and he called him the infinite infant. I love that, the infinite infant. This baby that couldn't even hold his own head up, holding up the entire universe. Does this not blow your mind? Does this not make you just want to worship? Everlasting, eternal, no beginning, no end. All of that in this tiny baby that you could hold in your hands. It's meant to make us wonder. It's meant to make us worship. It's meant to make us fall on our knees. We're going to sing this song later on, but... O holy night, the second verse says, The King of kings lay thus in lowly manger, in all our trials, born to be our friend. He knows our need. In our weakness, he is no stranger. Of course, of course he's no 
stranger to our weakness. Of course he's no stranger to our weakness because he became the epitome of weakness. King of kings, lay thus in lowly manger. Eternal, no beginning, no end. But yet he made himself be born. <laughs> so why, Father? I mean, this is a prophecy about a king, right? They need a warrior. They need someone uh, that's going to uh, defeat their enemies. They need light in the darkness. Why, Father? Well, in ancient times and in the Bible, the, the metaphor of, of or the, the, the the description of king and father, those two things are very uh, closely linked and intertwined together. You see this right throughout the Bible, as we'll hopefully see. Um, the kings of Israel, like I said, they had this fatherly role to play. They had to protect the people. They were to provide for the people. They were to prosper the people. They were to guide the people and lead the people. The, the king, one of the first things he had to do in preparation for being king was to learn the entire Old Testament or to learn the entire law. He had to learn this off by heart so he could teach and lead and guide the people. But if you've ever read the books of First and Second Kings in the Old Testament, you'll know that king after king after king after king came and went and failed spectacularly. In fact, each king got worse and worse. And over and over again this happened until finally the people just gave up on the throne of David altogether. That led to the nation being divided and then led to where they are right now in darkness, facing exile, facing slavery, facing oppression. And it's into this darkness that God promises a new king. So I imagine if for the people of Judah at this time, hearing this prophecy, it might be hard to believe. Can it really be true that there'll be a king that won't fail us? Can it really be true that there'll be a king that will protect us and save us from our enemies, that will, will, will provide for us? Really? God says, this king is going to be different. He won't be a temporary human king. He'll be an everlasting father to his people. He won't disappoint and he won't go away. Listen to uh, verse 7 of Isaiah 9 in our passage. It says this, of the increase of his government. See, he's a king. He sets up the he sets up a government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom. There he is, very, very clearly a king. And then it says this, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. This king is forever. This perfect father will never leave. He's never going to let you down. He's never going to disappoint. He is everlasting and he is perfect and he is permanent. But it wasn't just the relationship between king and father that were, were, was used in the Bible. There was actually another term used, which was shepherd. And the idea of shepherd and father and king were really closely linked. When you, you can't talk about a, a godly king without thinking about shepherd or without thinking about father. Psalm 23. If you've ever heard Psalm 23, maybe you've uh, seen it uh, or heard it at a funeral or watched the Vicar of Dibley. <laughs> um, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, right? This is very clearly a shepherd who, who provides for his sheep, okay? Uh, you're a sheep and you get fed by the shepherd. But then it goes on to say that, that he, he seats us at his banqueting table, his feasting table. Now, I don't know if you know any shepherds, but shepherds don't tend to have banqueting tables. This is a king. This is a king who, who brings us to his, his banqueting hall and sit, sets a feast before us in the presence of our enemies. This is a different kind of shepherd. This is a shepherd king. And then there's uh, the idea of king and father intertwined in the Lord's Prayer. You ever heard the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, 
who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. What kind of father is this? I, I'm a father and I, I, can't, I don't have a kingdom. But yet, here we have the ideas of father and king blended together. And, and all the Bible is showing us that, that this, this child is the father-shepherd king that Israel has been waiting on, that the world needs. And all they've experienced is kingly father-shepherds who have let them down over and over and over again. Ezekiel 34 uh, speaks directly to this. And it's, it's, it's a sad passage, but it's, it's like through the prophet Ezekiel, God is, is um, pointing out all the ways that these shepherds and kings and father figures have, have let the people down. Um, this will be on the screen, but this is what Isaiah 34, 1-4 says. Listen to this. The word of the Lord came to me. So Ezekiel said, God spoke to me. God said this, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. That's the kings, that's the fathers. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord of God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you close yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. They're actually using the sheep to provide for themselves food and, and, and clothing. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, you have lost, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. God is saying that, that good kings don't feed themselves. Good fathers don't just provide for themselves. Good shepherds don't forget the weak and the sick and injured. Good, good shepherds don't just let the lost ones go off. Good leaders don't lead with force and harshness. And maybe you've experienced self-serving leadership. Probably we all have. Maybe, maybe you're the one who, maybe you are weak and injured, or you have been at times in your life, and you've been let down by someone who should have cared for you and protected you. Have you been let down by a dad who abandoned you? Have you been treated harshly or forcefully by a father or a leader or a boss or whatever who, who should have instead treated you with compassion? Well, here's the good news that we have this morning, that, that, that Jesus does what all the kings of Israel, what all the leaders, what all the shepherds, what all the fathers in the world could, could never have done and never did do. Jesus doesn't clothe himself, he clothes us. Jesus doesn't feed himself. He feeds us. Jesus isn't harsh. He's compassionate. Jesus goes after the lost sheep, brings him back, brings him into safety. Jesus doesn't abandon us. He is everlasting father. In fact, Ezekiel 34 goes on to explain this. This is from verse 11. It says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep. And seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered. So I will seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. It goes on in verse 15. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make them lie down. Declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Listen, when God promises a Savior in Isaiah 9 and in Ezekiel 34, one who's going to be everlasting father, one that's going to be a king, one that's going to be a shepherd, what he's saying is, you have been let down. 
over and over again. But I'm coming. Me, myself, I'm going to come and I won't let you down. Over and over and over again, you've been failed and abandoned and let down. So you know what? I'm going to come myself. I'm going to come for you and I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. I will never let you down. Listen, Jesus is the leadership that we all, we, we all long for. Jesus is the protector and the provider that you need and you want. Jesus, in Jesus, like go back to Bethlehem, the nativity scene, this tiny baby lying in, uh, in the feeding trough. That's God himself. That's God himself going after his long sh- lost sheep. That's God himself being the good shepherd. That's God himself being a good king. In Jesus, we see God himself come to meet all of our needs. In Jesus, we see God himself come to feed our need, feed our hunger. Jesus is in God himself coming to strengthen us in our weakness and to heal us of our sickness and to bind up our wounds. And he will be this for us forever. Jesus is our never giving up, ever present, never failing, always providing, always protecting, everlasting Father. This is who Jesus is. And in our last 10, 15 minutes or so, I just want to point out four ways that Jesus fulfills this promise of everlasting Father. Because just to let you into my head, a few, uh, on Monday, here, here's where I was, maybe like you, um, I, I had, I've never really spent much time considering Jesus as a father, right? Because we're so used to uh, the Trinity, which is right and good, and, and the Trinity is amazing, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so I wanted to get into, well, how does, how does Jesus really fulfill this prophecy? How does he become this everlasting father for us? Well, here's one way, first way. He represents us. Jesus is the representative of his people. So what does this mean? Well, the Bible has this concept running right through it. And, and, and it really, the Bible tells us uh, that, that we are either in Adam or we are in Christ. So all of us are born sinful. Uh, and when we are born in that sense, uh, we are born as children of Adam. He is like a father. He is our head, the source, if you like. We are his descendants. But when we trust in Jesus and we become Christian, then when, when the Holy Spirit awakens our hearts and we call Jesus Lord, uh, the Bible tells us that, that we become a new creation. We move from being in Adam to being in Christ. We actually get a new family tree, a new family line, a new inheritance, all that becomes along with it. That's why the Bible is crazy full of talk of adoption. We're moved into this, having a new family and therefore a new representative, a new head, a new dad, a new father. And, and, and if we are in Adam, then we get everything that he did, he earned, and he deserves, which is the sum total of rebellion and sin and death. But if we're in Jesus, then we get everything he did and he earned and he deserved, which is resurrection and life and the blessing of God and inheritance from heaven forever. And so listen to what Paul, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. And he talks about this idea. He says, for as by a man came death. That's Adam. He's talking about Adam. By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. That's Jesus. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. 
In Adam, with him as our representative, as our head, we receive only sin and death and the wrath of God. But in Jesus, do you see that with him as our head, with our representative, receive what he receives, life and freedom and the blessing of God and an inheritance. Then it had cut us off from God forever, but, but our everlasting Father, Jesus, welcomes us into the royal family. Like, like, like we're actually part of God's family. Jesus as our representative, we are seated in the heavenly places in Christ. That's what Paul tells us in Ephesians 2. We are seated in the heavenly places in Christ. If you're a Christian this morning, that's your reality. Because Jesus is our representative. Jesus is our head our everlasting Father. Secondly, the second way Jesus fulfills this prophecy of everlasting Father, He is the founder of His people. Jesus is the founder of His people. Um, like I said, we're taking a break from Hebrews while we do Advent, but uh, when we come back to that, we get to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12 verse 4, um, it says that, that Jesus is the founder of our faith. Like the idea of founding Father that we talked about, He establishes it. It starts with Him. Without Jesus, there would be no kingdom of God. Without Jesus, as our founding father, there would be no people of God to be part of. Without Jesus, we wouldn't be doing this. Remember what Isaiah 9 verse 7 says. Actually, I'm going to read 6 and 7 again. Uh, you guys should hopefully know these verses by the end of Advent. It says, For to us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and he shall be named, and he shall, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, everlasting, or Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it. This child, this, this promised Savior is the one who establishes the government of peace. It's going to last forever. We can't have any of the things that God has promised unless God, through Jesus, establishes this kingdom for us. We are his people, and he has founded us. He has established us. He has made us his own. And he will be our everlasting uh, father forever. My, uh, my dad um, actually built our house. Like, not that I live in now, but where I grew up. Like, actually built that, which is an incredible thing because we, like, don't know, like, I'm a dad, and I'm not going to build my kids a house, actually, with my bare hands. Um, but he actually built it with his bare hands. And this is what Christ has done for us. Only he's built a house that is going to last forever. He founded it. It is based in him. If you are a Christian, then you are part of something that God has established through Christ, through this everlasting Father, that will last forever. So if you ever feel alone, or... or Maybe you don't feel alone, but maybe you feel um, that you, don't, you can't find your place in the world. Or you don't feel fulfilled, or I don't really know what I have to offer, or I just feel a bit out of place. Well, in Jesus, you can have a place. In Jesus, you're a part of his established kingdom that will never end. And that's the kind of permanence that you don't get from finding the right job or finding the right partner to be with or, or, or any of those things. If you are in Jesus, you are a part of his established kingdom, his government of peace that will have no end. 
If Christmas is anything, it's a, it's a time not to forget our troubles and, and sing a song like someday all our troubles will be far away. If, it's, if anything, it's a time to remember our troubles, but remember that in spite of all those things that we are part of God's established kingdom that will last forever. This government of peace, can't wait to talk about the peace next week. Wholeness, completeness. The third way that Jesus fulfills this prophecy of this title of everlasting father is that he is the security of his people. He's the security of his people. We've already seen that um, Jesus is like a, 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 the king and father and shepherd are all one. And in Mark chapter 6, there's this account of, of Jesus. He gets off this boat on the Sea of Galilee and there's a big crowd. And the crowd, I don't know how they got there. I knew he was coming, maybe rumors or whatever. Um, but, but he sees the crowd, and the crowd are, they're looking for something, you know, because even in Jesus' time, that, that they lived under oppression, they lived under an oppressive government, and they're looking for the fulfillment of all these promises in, in Scripture. And so they see Jesus, and Jesus gets off the boat, and, and Mark 6, verse 34 tells us that when he saw the crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Not Psalm 103, like we saw. The Lord has compassion on his people. Like, he is the shepherd for his sheep. And Jesus himself spoke of himself this way in John chapter 10. He says this, John chapter 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I will give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. And my Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This is the security that we all long for, isn't it? That we all want. Nothing can ever snatch us out of His hand. It's complete security. And, and we are in His hand, and He and the Father are one, so we're also in the Father's hand. It's weird and confusing, but it's like this double security. We're in our shepherd's hand and we're in the father's hand and we are so secure. Most of us spend our entire lives trying to find security. It's, it's, it's drummed into us, isn't it? I have to do well my GCSE so that I can do well my A-level so I can go to the best university course so I can get a good job and have security. I have to make sure I can get a nice house and a good pension so I can have security for the future and for my kids. Well, listen, all those things are fine but they're temporary, they're fickle. There's only one place to find true security, and that's in the hand of Jesus, in the hand of our everlasting Father. That security that we find in Him, it's not, it never gives up, it never ends, it doesn't fluctuate with the markets, it doesn't get broken into, it never loses value. The security we find in Jesus is eternal security everlasting security and that's amazing so so because I mean, what that means is like when you feel that pressure of oh i haven't done this yet or i haven't got all my ducks in a row as an adult or um or i've lost my job or whatever maybe this is actually incredible because you can say to yourself well these things i don't have those things but i have eternal security you know a part of this established everlasting kingdom i mean i'm in the hand of jesus right so I don't have to worry about those things. Don't, don't, don't have to be consumed by those things. As Christians, if you're a Christian, we should sleep better than anyone else in the world. We really should. Because no matter what happens, we're eternal, eternally secure. 
Jesus is our everlasting Father and nothing can snatch you out of his hand. Nothing can ever separate you from his love. And the fourth way then, the the last way and the fourth way that Jesus uh, fulfills this prophecy of everlasting Father is that he provides for his people. Good Father, a good King, a good Shepherd not only gives security and protection, but he also provides for his sheep. And this is what Jesus has done for us. He's provided for us by laying down his life for us. Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Um, normally at this time of year, we rightly focus on the baby Jesus, don't we? Um, not the man Jesus, but, but the truth is that Mary who, Mary who knelt beside the manger 30 years later knelt beside a cross. See that the manger, and we should consider that, and we should consider the incarnation, but that was a signpost to the cross, the fulfillment of, of Jesus' life. The promised child was promised to die. The, the, the point of his life was to die. You see, only through dying could he provide for his people. Could, uh, through his death, could he provide um, salvation for us? Could he provide freedom for us? Could he provide uh, an inheritance for us, an eternal inheritance? This is the, the, the nature of Jesus as everlasting Father, providing for our deepest needs. That's, if if you have a dad or you've been a dad, that, that, that's, that's what you want to do. More than most, that, I think for me as a dad, I, I just want to provide for my kids and make sure that their needs are met. And this is what Jesus does for us through his death. And listen, maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you've never actually trusted Jesus. Maybe you don't think that Jesus is Lord. And maybe Christmas is just a holiday for you, a time to celebrate and eat and drink. And that's fine. Holidays are good. Time off is good. Eating and drinking is good. I'm going to do all those things. But don't miss out on what this is really about. In Jesus, you can have the Father you've always longed for, that security that you've always longed for, the family you've always longed for. One who's not going to let you down, one that won't fail you, one that's not going to die, one that's never going to leave, one that's forever and perfect. You just have to believe that. You just have to call him Lord. And here's what I want to finish with this morning, church. Like I said, we focus on uh, the Christ child this time of year, and we should do that, and, uh, and that's right to do that. Um, and just as Isaiah, the people in Isaiah's time, looked forward to the coming of the Christ child, we, we look back to the coming of the Christ child. But for us, there's something different. There's another aspect to this, because we're on the other side of his coming, on the other side of the manger, 2,000 years after the cross, and, and we only look back so that we can look forward, right? Uh, We look forward to the coming again of the Messiah, the second coming. That's what Advent is for us. If you're a follower of Jesus, then you're an Advent person. We are Advent people. We are waiting people. And just like God's people in the Old Testament, we are looking forward to the the coming of our King who will end war, who will end slavery, who will end oppression, who will end injustice, who will stop pain and suffering, who will wipe away our tears. And I think it's safe to say that world needs that, right? <laughs> I think it's safe to say if you ask yourself that you need that. We're looking for a leader who is compassionate. We're looking for a father, shepherd, king who is lowly and gentle. We're looking for one who won't let his people down. And our king is coming. 
Our king is coming soon. And when, see, when he comes this time, it's not going to be a helpless baby. He can't hold his own head up. This time he's coming as a conquering king. We're going to see who he really is. Revelation 21 is, is also a prophecy. And, and God gives John, one of the disciples of Jesus, a, a vision of the future, of, of what we can expect. And here's what it says about what Jesus will be like when he comes again. And, and, I, and I, I could just read the whole chapter. I'm just going to read this section. He who was seated on the throne. Okay, he's on a throne. <laughs> he's not in a manger. He's on a throne. Jesus has taken his rightful place and he says, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. I love that John's written that down. Like Jesus was like, John, are you getting this? Because this is good stuff. You need to <laughs> make sure people get this. And he said to me, this is Jesus says, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And here's his father heart. The thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. To the one who conquers, I will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. So, so I went this week going, I don't know how God or how Jesus is this father type to then just seeing all over the Bible. You can't miss it when you see it. But listen to his father heart. This conquering king is coming back. This time he's seated on the throne. He's taken his rightful place. He's Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. He meets our most basic needs. There's, there's nothing more basic to being a parent than wiping away tears and giving a drink. <laughs> that, that, I mean, that's one of the most common things that I feel like I do as a parent, right? Wiping away tears and giving a drink. Every morning, my role as a dad is to put breakfast on the table and give them a drink. They asked for it, and I simply gave it to them. And, and, and Christ, our everlasting Father, this is what he does for us forever. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life where without payment. Revelation 21 also says that he will wipe away every tear. Isn't that what a good dad does? And so we, in our Advent, we look forward uh, to, to this common king, to our common everlasting Father. Uh, we are his thirsty children, and he gives us a drink. It's our heritage. It belongs to us forever. Because Christ is the everlasting Father, all of us who belong to Him will be His children forever. So be encouraged this morning, right? If Christmas is hard for you this year, and it probably is for a lot of us, but I don't know if it's hard for you, but um, I just feel it this morning. I feel that I, I miss my dad, I miss my sister, and it's hard. And if, if Christmas is hard for you, or if you've been let down by an earthly dad in any way, everything you've ever dreamed a father could be or should be, that's what Jesus is and will be for you forever. Isn't that incredible? Christ, our everlasting father, he's not distant, he's not cruel, he's not absent, he's not too busy, he's not abusive, he's not temporary, he's not dismissive, he's not cruel or harsh. Our everlasting Father, Jesus, our, our King, our Shepherd, our Father, He's attentive, He's forever, He's patient, He's compassionate, He's kind, He's always present, and He is close. Like the song we sang earlier, Emmanuel, God with us. The child has come, and His name is Jesus. God with us, and He is our everlasting Father. Be encouraged this morning. Because uh, all of God and a baby, that's reason to celebrate, isn't it? 
Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the gift that you gave us at Christmas, that you gave us your Son, who is given to us as everlasting Father. Lord Jesus, we long for you to come and wipe away our tears and to give us a drink. Thank you that you meet our most basic needs. Thank you that you are gentle and lowly. Thank you that you have compassion on those who love you. Thank you that you are a good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Help us to trust you this morning. Help us just to receive the gift that you've given us. Father, I pray for anyone who hasn't trusted you before. Speak to them now and they would feel you calling them to you. God, your everlasting Father. Lord, I pray that this Christmas wouldn't just be a time of um, pretending that our troubles are far away, but actually knowing that we have eternal security through our everlasting Father. Help us to worship you now. In Jesus' name.